What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for you. This nation will rise up. Hello and welcome to another awesome edition of Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. This week we're going to tackle a pretty interesting subject. It's one that can definitely help you out and one that you've definitely thought about, but you probably didn't know what to do with it. This week's topic is salary negotiation. Salary negotiation is something that is almost definitely going to affect you at some point in your life, and it can make a big difference in how much you make for the, for the rest of your working career. They say that your future earnings are often based upon how much you made at your last job. So ensuring that you continually grow your salary every year, whether it be at your annual review or more specifically when changing jobs, it's going to benefit you throughout your whole career. However, most people only do it a couple times in their life and they don't have the tools to negotiate with the big boys. And to be honest, the companies are hoping you don't have these tools. They're in it to make money, and they're hoping to basically purchase your talents and your skills on sale. So this week, we're going to arm you with those tools. And keep in mind, even if you don't see yourself needing salary negotiation techniques, this isn't something you don't want to be prepared for. We also discuss general negotiation techniques that are used by even the FBI, which can be carried over into everyday life, say when shopping for shoes. We interviewed Jim Hopkinson, who is the marketing director of Wired.com, which is part of Wired Magazine, which we all know is pretty awesome. He's also done a lot of other things. He's worked for Golf Digest. He's worked for ESPN, Reddit.com, GQ, bunch of big names. He was named one of the social media superstars of 2009, 
And he did all this by being an entrepreneur, by following his passion, and by generally just being a really sharp guy. After having worked at so many different places, he learned what it takes to be an asset to a company, and then he made sure he was getting paid for it. Having gone through numerous salary negotiations himself, he realized there wasn't much information on the subject available, and he wanted to give people some advice, so he decided to write a book, which was just released on April 1st, and that book is titled Salary Tutor, Learn the Salary Negotiation Secrets No One Ever Taught You. So we were lucky to get Jim on the podcast this week and pass along some great advice. Roach, uh, what do you got going on? Well, I just wanted to mention to our listeners just how amazing this technology is. Because we're doing a podcast, we you know we have the flexibility of of basically doing this show from you know whatever location we want. And I'm actually at a friend and fan of the show's house, Phil. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. I have Phil here, and I wanted to talk to him about his salary negotiation or lack thereof on his first job right out of school. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the salary process out of school? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think this is a really interesting topic. Coming out straight out of school into a, a big firm like I did, you don't typically get a chance to negotiate your salary. I mean, I got an offer letter from the firm that I currently work with coming from the recruiters, and you get an offer that says, this is what your salary is going to be. Do you accept it or do you reject it? You don't really get a great chance to negotiate your salary coming out straight out of college. Um, so it's a little bit of a different concept. And, and I definitely wish I knew some of the, the things that you guys talk about with Jim because it would have given me a, a bit of a leg up, you know, when trying to negotiate my initial salary. So would you say that, you know, you regret not having the chance to negotiate for your salary or, you know, having the skills to negotiate pay raises as you've moved on throughout your career? Yeah, you know, I mean, coming out of college, it's a little bit hard. It's it's obviously a, a pretty nerve-wracking process. You're you're totally new to the workforce, and, and you don't you don't really know, you know, how you should approach salary. You don't know what other people are making. So coming out of college, I mean, do I wish I I would have tried to negotiate my salary? Sure, because maybe I could have made you know a couple extra thousand. But as you grow, or you know, as you move along in your career, year to year. Uh, you definitely come across situations where you have a chance to negotiate your salary. And if you're not prepared, if you don't have the, the skills or the tools to, to try to do that, you're, you're not going to know what to do when somebody offers you a raise, whether you think that's fair. How can you negotiate more as part of those, those annual review processes? Yeah, I agree with Phil. I mean, with your first job, you don't have the ability to really negotiate. But that shouldn't stop you from trying to negotiate after you establish yourself at a company and you're going through your views and things like that. As I mentioned earlier, studies show that your largest increases in income actually come when you switch jobs. So make sure you arm yourself with the ability to maximize that income using some of the tips that Jim talks with us about. Again, his book, Salary Tutor, is now available, and you can find a link to purchase the book on our website at smartpeoplepodcast.com. The first part of the interview, we talk with Jim a little about his positions in marketing at places like GQ and ESPN and his current position at Wired, and then we move into discussing his new book, How to Negotiate Your Salary. So grab a pen and paper, take some notes. We're going to try and help you make a little more money at your next job. Here's Jim. Jim, before we get into your wonderful new book, which is Salary Tutor, and it's about salary negotiation techniques, 
I wanted to talk to you for just a few minutes about your job at Wired.com, which is part of Wired Magazine, because Wired is such an awesome magazine, one that both me and and my co-host subscribe to. I, I can't help but wonder, how does one become the marketing director at a place like Wired, and, and what is it that you do actually for them? Um, it was a couple of things that kind of came together where I, I generally advise people that, you know, go do what you love, right? Like if you're, if you're going, it's hard enough to go to work for 40 hours a week, so you've got to be doing something you love. And so I've been able to, in my career, turn stuff that I've been passionate about into a job. So um, I'm passionate about sports, and for eight years I worked at ESPN.com. So, and I was in their fantasy football division. So I'm used to people saying, like, oh, my God, you, you do fantasy football for a living? That's amazing. That's a dream job. Yeah. And then I went into the mobile phone division, and then when they kind of folded that unit, I kind of had the chance to sit back and say, you know, what are the companies I want to work for? And I was, you know, I'm into mountain biking, but they were kind of based in California. And I looked at, you know, just sites and products that I used. And I looked down and there was a Wired magazine sitting on my, you know, coffee table. And I was like, well, I love Wired. I'm a longtime subscriber. Let's see what they've got. And even though the editorial was in San Francisco, Condé Nast, the parent company, was in New York. And they had, um, you know, job openings listed on their, uh, on their website. And so what happened was, and I, I talk about this, I went and I you know, wrote a good cover letter and I sent it in and I applied to the job online. And it would be a nice little story, right, if they replied back and said, oh, you've got the job. But I did more than that. I used LinkedIn and started, I'm like, I want a personal connection. And I started paging through hundreds of my friends, hundreds of their connections, and luckily found uh, an old fraternity brother living up in Boston who worked with someone that worked at Lycoats, which was a parent of Wired, who knew someone at Wired in New York, who actually connected me to someone at Wired that used to work at ESPN. And so it's kind of that networking that gave wow. me that extra edge to get in the door. Wow. That's, you know, I'm actually really glad you said that because LinkedIn is something that I haven't jumped on yet because I, I, I don't know. I, I have so many, you know, you have your Twitter and your Facebook and you used to have your MySpace. I was like, I can't take on anymore. But you would highly advise something like that, especially yeah, it's for something jobs. That you should kind of be building up. You're not going to use it all the time, but you kind of have to continually build up that network. So when you do need it, it's there for you. Okay. That's really, that's cool. What kind of stuff do you do at Wired? I'm a marketing director. I kind of have two two roles. One is kind of the working on Wired specifically. So I help drive traffic to the site. I do their Facebook page. I help start their Twitter account, their newsletters, banner ads. And then I also do a lot of deep dive analytical studies and research and social media. And now I'm moving into a group called um, digital consumer marketing, which is more like subscriptions. So I'm getting to do that across multiple sites, uh, mostly on the social media side. So I'm helping Allure, you know, get some buzz on their Facebook page about their new website launch, or I'm helping Vanity Fair talk about certain programs that they can run uh, and that might go viral, stuff like that. Yeah, I know you have an extensive background in marketing, I, I noticed on your bio, which includes ESPN, GQ.com, Golf Digest, you know, a bunch of big names. What do you think is the single kind of largest idea or mindset that you try to instill in a company with regards to how they market online or how they interact with their customers? I would say it's it's a little bit of everything. Like people say, oh, Twitter's really big. Is, is Twitter the next new thing? Or, you know, is geolocation going to be the next new thing? And it's all part of a larger marketing program. So to give you an example, um, when I came in, I've, I've been here four years, so I started January 2007, 
and for the most part, there was Wired Magazine and Wired.com, you know, and it was kind of marketing around that. But people forget how recent a lot of this technology is. So even just since 2007, there's the iPhone, there's the iPad, there's a newsletter we started, there's podcasts that we started, there's certain video channels that we started. And so all of these serve as a touch point, and you might, and the advantage is that you can cross-promote. So you might have one customer that reads the magazine and subscribes to it and listens to some podcasts. You might have a completely different person that goes to Wired.com every day and gets the newsletter. So you kind of have to be in all of these places and kind of communicating with them to reach a, a wide variety of people. Yeah, it's crazy how these days there's no one or even two ways to go about it. There's 50. Yeah. And if, if you don't do it, you, you, know, you probably won't make it. Right, right. I know we were talking before, actually, before we got on air about your podcast and kind of some different ideas you have for podcasting in general, which obviously it's kind of self-serving. But since I have you on the show, you know, I was looking for any advice you have regarding marketing your own podcast or in the future, perhaps things like that. I think it's just doing the, the best possible job you could. And the way the podcast evolved was I came in and we kind of had the scattering of podcasts. We had ones that were sponsored but not really being promoted. And we had the other ones and all our icons were a little bit different. And, and I looked at the New Yorker and they had like a perfect, you know, artist page. It's called on iTunes and all the icons were the same. And all the fonts were the same. It had a really clean look. So I asked around, I'm like, how does Wired get one of those? And they're like, you need six podcasts in your company to get an artist page. And we only had five. And so I said, you know what? I can do this. And, and I have a lot of energy. And, and maybe I get excited and I'll talk too fast on the interview. Um, <laughs> one, one of the people uh, that reviewed my podcast called me Audible Caffeine. So I have a picture in a slideshow that I give that has a giant uh, speaker and a giant can of Red Bull. Oh, so, but that's, that's like being myself. And the first couple episodes, you know, so first of all, I went out to Wired and I pitched it and I had a demo and I sent it to, you know, the multimedia person there and they have a salesperson and the PR. And what's funny is I, I interviewed my, one of my best friends and he, he wanted to be formal until the beginning of it was like, hi, my name is Robert and I own a family-owned business and we make emergency call phones that go in the parking lots and help people that are getting attacked or on college campuses. And I looked around and they were like, Oh, that, that's okay. You know, you know do, do you have anything else? <laughs> and I, I, I had this immediate flashback because what we did, we, let, we kept the tape rolling. Right. And we just talked about what we had done at brunch that day. Right. And it was this crazy story where these, you know, we had these, all these glasses and we're eating, we had pancakes, and, and then all of a sudden one of the plates exploded and like <laughs> shards of glass went everywhere and all these people came in, you know, and, and the wait staff were like sweeping stuff up and this, this place where we went is like in the middle of Union Square, which is like the middle of the village. It's like in the middle of the universe and, and they were closed down because of rats, and so, but these celebrities always go there, so they reopened the place. And I, I paused and I turned around and they were all looking at me and the director of multimedia paused and said, now that's how you do a podcast. Wow. And I was like, awesome. So she's like, yeah, you got you to gotta work some more marketing in there. You got to have a little more structure. But so that's the day I learned that, you know, uh, you know, emergency phones in 100-year-old businesses weren't always interesting, but having energy and talking about, you know, rats and explosions and celebrities, sometimes that's the way to go. Huh. That's interesting because sometimes, yeah, I think we tend to get a little too technical, but yeah, and it depends on what your show's about. I mean, obviously, if you're doing a, a financial podcast and your listeners are looking for, you know, very logical and thought-out research financial planning, maybe you don't want that super high-energy, crazy type of stories. 
All right. Well, now I would like to move into talking about your brand new book, which comes out April 1st, so a few days from right now, and it's called Salary Tutor, Learn the Salary Negotiation Techniques No One Ever Taught You. And I think from the title, the topic of the book is self-explanatory. But first, I wanted to just find out what prompted you to write a book on salary negotiation. It's one of those things that everyone either has dealt with or will deal with, but nobody talks about it. Exactly. And, and that's the exact reason. So again, some of the things I'm passionate about is technology. And so that led me to Wired and I worked at a startup and I actually did tech support. You know, one of, took over 10,000 tech support calls, you know, with the headset and everything. <laughs> and then I was, you know, passionate about sports and I landed a job at ESPN. And, but the other third thing was career development. So helping people with their resumes and helping them with interviews. And I've had several uh, interns here at Wired that I have, you know, this hiring thing. And when I was at the startup, I was the third employee. And somehow I got to be the HR person and did a lot of interviewing, a lot of hiring. And it's something that I've always been passionate about. And like, how can I kind of turn this into something cool? And the original plan was to self-publish. And, and it was just no, that's the digital way now. You know, you don't need a radio tower to do an audio show. You can do your own podcast. Right. Like, oh, I'll just do a great book. And so first I look at the overall topic of, you know, interviewing and networking and resumes. And what I found was that, like you said, no one teaches you this stuff, right? I thought back and I was like, you know, I never learned it in college. My parents didn't do it. Like it's taboo among your friends yeah. right, to talk about <laughs> salary. And I'm like, is it, is it just me? And so I went on Google and I typed in uh, interview tips. And then I typed in resume tips, and there were 90 million results between those. But salary negotiation tips, there was only 500,000. Okay. So then I went over to Amazon, and I searched on the same thing, interview, interviewing and resumes, 45,000 books, but only 139 on salary negotiation. And the more I talked to people, everyone just really responded to it. Like you can say, oh, should you have an objective or a summary on your resume? Well, da-da-da. <laughs> but if you ask someone about, like, do you want to learn some FBI hostage negotiation techniques on how to get a higher salary? <laughs> Suddenly people's ears perk up, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Actually, that was one of my questions for you, but I guess we'll jump right into it. Could you talk a little bit about how you do uh, tie in FBI negotiation techniques to, you know, to use to your advantage in an interview? Sure. There's, there's certain things that uh, I found this old document and they found seven techniques that FBI agents used to, to negotiate. And among some of them, that it, it, it mirrored a lot of the research that I found about how to, to handle that crucial moment. So some of it is like mirroring. So when kind of saying, repeating back what the interviewer said, um, paraphrasing. So if they're like, well, we've, we've really got you know, tight budgets this year, it's like em empathy and being like, wow. So, so what you're saying is you really, you, know, you really have a lot of budget constraints, but and one of the key ones is silence. And, you know, when you're on the interview, you want to be, you know, bubbly and outgoing and, and have a lot of enthusiasm about the job. But for that 30 seconds, there's a key point during the negotiation where they give that number. And if you use silence, it, it makes someone want to fill that science and, uh, silence. And a lot of times they'll reveal things that they don't plan to. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually tried to or have tried to incorporate that more into my daily life because I'll jump in in conversations and it's crazy when you just test it out and you, you make mm -hmm. sure you tell yourself the things that come out of people, you're like, whoa. Yeah. And you have to get psyched up for this because you're at a disadvantage because an HR person might negotiate salary, you know, five times a week, whereas you might do it five times in your life. And right. so 
a lot of people don't realize that it's that crucial 30 seconds. Like you could be at your job four years, and then you go through all this stuff. You're, you're interviewing, you're networking, you're resume, and, you, and you're in a job, and then you might be at that job for another four years, but in that small slice, that's your one opportunity to you know, make the money you want, and then also that's going to affect all your raises and your, your money down the road too. Right. Actually, a question just popped into my mind. I hadn't even thought of this one, but every time I've interviewed for a job, and I've only been working, you know, in the working force for about six years now, and there's been a, quite a few interviews, and they ask, what is your ideal salary? What is your salary range? What are you looking for? I never, ever know how to answer that question. Do you have advice for that? I do. So um, the two things you want to do is first defer the talk until you know they want you for the job. So if it's on a, a application and it's a desired salary, just put negotiable or to be discussed during interview or just kind of leave it blank. And hopefully they kind of won't, you can get past that first hurdle. Then if you get the HR person in the first 10 minutes and they're like, what are you looking to make? It's saying, you know, well, you know, I'd really like to learn more about the position before I get into that. And what I talk about a little bit is, is just the mindset of that and not it's easy for you to read the book and just kind of repeat the words. Oh, they said this. Jim said to say this. But it's also just believing it. So the example I give is, so let's say they say, well, what are you looking to make? And you say a low number. And then you go on the interview and all of a sudden um, you find out that, oh, it's managing four people, not two. And the budget has been cut in half. And you have a lot of travel you have to do. You're like, geez, to take this job, I'd have to make $10,000 more just to make it worth it. Or flip it around and say you go in and you say a really high number, then you go on the rest of the interview and and you find out, oh my God, I actually know the manager. This guy's amazing and this guy's going to be my mentor. And this project they have in the pipeline is something I've been dying to work on. I'd almost pay them, but alas, you kind of went too high. So really believing, like, no, I I really do need to know more about the job before I can give a number. And then what happens is, when you sit down and it is time to talk about it, is getting them to say the number first. I've talked to people, and I'm not so now, of course, I ask everyone, like, how did your last negotiation go? Right. Or I say, what, you know, if they ask you something, what would you say? And they're like, my salary plus $10,000. Right. And I was like, yeah, but what if they were going to give you your salary plus $20,000? Right. You just lost 10K. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I've never known what to do with that. So, I will keep that in my back pocket next time. <laughs> Another thing is, in your book, you talk about discovering two simple but vital questions you need to answer for success. I'm sure everybody would like to know what those are. Could you let us know? Sure. And they're kind of the foundation for the book. And the, and the first one was, I was prepared. So w- when you're coming out of the, the negotiations, I'll give you both. So it's, I was prepared, and I did everything I could. And so when you go in for your interview, so many people are not even prepared. They're not expecting the question. They get caught off guard. And, and you're in the interview, and they're like, so how much money are you looking to make? And you're like, oh, what do I say? Like, you're just not prepared. And um, to give an example, I let me just say that kind of the structure of the book isn't, you know, I'm not a, a person that's been in HR for 20 years and just how to ABC. What I do is take people through my career and look at, the mistakes that I made and just I found that people really love case studies and just here's what I did in each one. And when I looked back, I averaged 12% raises versus the industry is like 3% raises. So I okay. kind of delve into how did I do that? So the first thing is just being prepared. So doing your homework, researching for the job you're going for based on your experience, based on what part of the country and being prepared for that question. And then the second half is I did everything I could. So 
if they give you a number, did you counteroffer? So um, 20% of people never counteroffer. And I'm like, really? Do you think if they're saying like, <laughs> well, we're going to offer you $50,000, do you think that that's the absolute maximum? No, they, it's like a, a yard sale, right? Like how much do you want for your old Van Halen record? <laughs> that's 20 bucks? Uh, how about 15? How about 10? And it's like, they're not going to give you that top number first. So doing everything you could, and that means counteroffering, that means you know, going to your research. And sometimes you're not always going to get a, a bigger number. So let's say they say 50,000. You're like, well, according to my research, this and this and this. And, and they say, we're really sorry. Our budgets are maxed out at $50,000. This, this is the highest that we can go. Then at least you did everything you could. The worst thing is they say 50, say, okay. And then the rest of your time there, you're like, darn it, I should have asked for more. How much would they have paid? So the key is to avoid that lifetime nagging of, I wish I had said this. Now, could you tell us a little bit about your, the, the right back at you method, which I think is an interesting concept? Sure. So that is to try to get the person to give the number first. So there's usually two ways they're going to ask you. One is, what, what, what are you making in your last job? And so I have a great I'll, – I'll save this one uh, so people have to read the book to get I've, this one. I've, it, I've got that so many times. I've gotten that question every time. Well, the, the key is that it's none of their business, right? Like yeah. you, you could have been a consultant making $200 an hour. You could have been laid off and making nothing, or you could be changing careers. So say you're, you're an events planner and you went back to school and now you're a software engineer, and they're like, what are you making at your last job? Well, I was an assistant event planner. It has nothing to do with the job I'm going for. And the fact is, companies, it's up to them. Like, you want to yell at them, you're the person with the job. Like, you have decided as a company that you need to hire someone, and I'm sure you made that decision because you're, you have more work that you can do, and you feel that bringing someone in is going to bring in more revenue for you. So you need to decide that. What someone else made in their past job shouldn't matter. If they ask you, what are you making in your current job, I have a really simple way to get around that in the book. And then they could also say is, what salary are you looking for? And so for that, what you would do is try to throw it back at them. And so the way you would do that is to use one of those examples, and you customize it to yourself. So say you use the changing job position, and they say, so what kind of salary are you looking for? And you say, well, you know, I've really done my homework on this. It's really tough because my last job was, you know, as an assistant event planner, and now this is more of a software engineer. So I was just wondering, you know, you'd probably be in a better position to answer that. What kind of range did you have in mind? It takes a lot of practice. And (laughs) I, you know, studied for that wired interview for about a week. So I was in between jobs. so I had more time, but I still would have done this much research. You know, what's more important than this, right, than this type of research? And I literally spent eight hours practicing that 30-second conversation, and uh, it gives you a lot of confidence going into the interview. No, that's true, you know, because I've always felt that if I go interview for a job that I really want, I'm more concerned, I tend to be more concerned with upsetting them, doing something wrong, than kind of looking out for my best interest. Do you have, you know, any advice towards that or, you know, not coming off as confrontational, I guess. Right. And it's a two-way street. And and I think it happens as you get older in your career, you have more confidence and you've got more experience. This is a little tougher to pull off in your first job. But as you get older, you realize it's a two-way street. So the company is saying, all right, 
we're looking to hire you. We're looking for the best. You need to impress us because we're a great company. But it's the flip side, too. You're like, listen, I'm going to come in there. I'm going to give you 40, 50 hours a week every single week for the next couple of years. I'm valuable. I know what my skills are. You need to impress me, too. So that goes along with just asking good questions on the interview of what are your management goals? What kind of budget concerns do you have? And just really, you know, throwing it back at them to make sure they're qualified enough to hire you. And then the same thing with the salary is just knowing what you're worth, what the industry is paying, and just being ready for that. Well, Jim, you know, that's all I got for you. Do you have anything that you'd like to let us know? Is the best place to buy your book going to be Amazon? Correct. So the, the timing on this, it's interesting. It's Grand Central Publishing in their Business Plus division. This is the first book they're doing that they're releasing an ebook before the paperback. Okay. So it's kind of new ground for them, and it's exciting because I've got – followers on my podcast and I've got you know network on LinkedIn and network on Facebook and I've started a uh, Facebook page for Salary Tutor. So they're really excited to try this you know social media approach. So April first the ebook goes available on uh, on Amazon.com and for other readers if you, if you have an iPad you can get it through the iBookstore. And then in August is when the paperback will be in bookstores. Great. All right well it's standard practice for us but we'll provide a link on our site at smartpeoplepodcast.com where our listeners can just go click on it and purchase the book right from there. I highly recommend it. It's If it's going to make you more money in the future, what book is more worth it? You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's less than 10 bucks, And so I, I, I don't know if I should guarantee, but you, know, you can make thousands back in a short amount of time. And the fun part is I do this with everything now. Once you kind of get the confidence of negotiating, I was like, you know, buying a new pair of sneakers. Oh, we're sorry, sir. Those don't go on sale. It's a new spring line. Those won't go on sale. You know what? Well, I think I'm going to wait then because according to my research, I, I get these emails from you that, uh, well, all right, I, I've got this extra corporate discount I can give you, but we don't do this for everyone. Wow. It almost becomes a game. So, so for less than 10 bucks, you'll, you'll learn these negotiation skills. And again, just to emphasize, it's not a boring how-to ABC. It's kind of almost like a, a fun, long blog post about my career path and seeing case studies and how things went bad and how my car blew its transmission. And I've got these pictures of me from the 80s. And it's a really fun and entertaining book as well. That's awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you so much and uh, look forward to reading your book and best of luck with that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jim. Phil, any closing thoughts on the subject? Yeah, I just want to say thanks again, guys, for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan. I can tell you one thing I'm doing on Monday is walking into my partner's office and negotiating my salary. Perfect. If we made you a little bit of money, I want to cut. <laughs> what percentage? All of it. He does need the money. <laughs> yes, I do. Speaking of needing money and percentages, don't forget to go to our website at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Use our Amazon widget for all of your purchases. It is in the bottom left-hand corner. Just click on the Amazon link. It brings you to Amazon, and anything you buy, we get a little kickback at no cost to you. Wanted to thank Jim for being on the podcast today. Remember, his book is Salary Tutor, Learn the Salary Negotiation Secrets No One Ever Taught You. You can find a link to that on our website, or you can find it on Amazon. Music this episode, as always, brought to you by The Outdoors. Thanks to them. Everyone tune in next week for yet another enthralling, informative, and smart podcast episode. Guys, when you think about Amazon, think Smart People Podcast. Go there, buy your stuff, and follow us on Twitter, Smart People Pod. <laughs>